Hello and welcome to Raising Learners, a conversation about supporting your child's learning in school and at home. Throughout this series, we discuss questions like how to build a great relationship with your child's school and teacher, how to keep your child safe online, and how to navigate the sometimes challenging final years of high school. I'm Julie Green from raisingchildren.net.au and I'll be hosting today's episode. I want to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands where each of us are recording today and to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. For me, that's the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. My guest today is Gunditch Maraman Mark Rose, Pro Vice-Chancellor of Indigenous Innovation at Deakin University and Board Member of the Victorian Aboriginal Education Association, or VAI. A big welcome, Mark. Julie, thank you. It's great to be here. First of all, Mark, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and the work of VAI so that parents listening can get to know a little about the organisation? Sure. As a Gundijamara man, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm sitting on the lands of the Wurundjeri people, part of the Kulin Nation here in Melbourne today. And it's great to be here. And I bring with me the spirit of my people and the wisdom of my ancestors. So yeah, look, I am the Vice President of VAI, Victorian Aboriginal Education Association Incorporated. Long name. It is an organisation that's been around about three and a half decades advocating for Aboriginal people in education along the lines of Aboriginal education philosophy. And it operates from out of 33 communities across Victoria with a secretariat body in up here in Melbourne, in Northcote. And it is the peak Aboriginal body for education in the state. And it's got alliances with other peak Aboriginal education bodies in all the other states and territories. Mm-hmm. Well, we might dig into that a little bit more, Mark, because you mentioned VAI's philosophy of education. Can you unpack that a bit for us and tell us how that philosophy might help parents bring that thinking to support their children's learning? It's Julie, it's an interesting thing, the Aboriginal education philosophy. A lot of people uh, haven't ever heard of it, but in fact, it's a big part of traditional life. Geoffrey Blaney, the non-Indigenous academic, wrote about in his book, The Triumph of the Nomads, how important education was in pre-contact times. And uh, while we have a whole lot of education philosophies at work in our schools, in our tertiary institutions, in our preschools, the Aboriginal education philosophy is possibly one of the richest. It's one of the richest because it's lifelong. It's from birth to death. Isn't compartmentalised as is Western education. You know, you go to early childhood and then you go to compulsory primary, uh, then compulsory secondary, then off to the higher ed options. Each of those education systems have a different language, a different way of seeing the world. We, as Aboriginal people, see education as being the core of what we do. If It only takes four hours for a traditional man to economically sustain themselves a whole lot of time was spent in recreational education and training and catching animals and sharing knowledge. 
So what we do in Aboriginal education is we remove the power, the transactional nature of education, and we move into a relationship context. And the power dimensions in the classroom where you have teacher and student, in our setup, the teacher becomes the learner and the learner becomes the teacher with a free exchange of those positions. So it's not one way. It's not didactic. It's very organic and it is something that is really central to traditional Aboriginal life. Once you share knowledge, you enter into a special relationship with that person. That's really rich and terrific to hear about. So you're saying that that philosophy is absolutely embedded in everyday life. Well, yeah, traditionally that would be the case. However, BC, before Cook, we have been party to the Western notion of education for almost 100 years since the Education Act of 1872 here in Victoria, which promised education free, secular and compulsory. For Aboriginal kids in that 100 years, Aboriginal people, there are times when that wasn't available. And in fact, Aboriginal people were often excluded from the classroom as early as grade 6, grade 7 and grade 8. So we've got a couple generations of our senior people who have gone through those really the dark ages that we were forced to be in and as a result have had a very negative experience and Western terms of education have been made to fall through the cracks. And would you say that Aboriginal perspectives are more visible in the curriculum these days compared to, say, when today's parents were at school? Oh, look, absolutely. We used to say, and the early days of VAI, we used to really proclaim that we were, we were invisible and mute in the curriculum. Our kids couldn't see themselves for a couple of decades onwards in the curriculum. And the work that VAI has done in lifting the profile and the importance of Aboriginal education has been immense. And VAI has morphed from being a political organisation for the first couple of decades into a sophisticated policy and advocacy agency and has got priority relationships with the education department here in Victoria and with the Catholic schools and the independent schools. All right. Thanks, Mark. So picking up on schools, what would you say some of the tangible ways that parents or kinship carers of both primary and secondary school age children really encourage their kids to thrive at school? Julie, one of the things that I would say is you often hear on places like Sky TV that Aboriginal people need to care more for education. And Aboriginal people, I can tell you, want for their kids the same as any parents, the best possible opportunities. There's no difference between the aspiration of an Aboriginal parent and a non-Aboriginal parent. They want the best. And it's not that Aboriginal parents can't invest in their kids' education. It is sometimes a challenge and a a leap of faith. Or I have cousins who were part of that exclusion, part of being forced out of education system at a very young age, yet they want their kids to be successful. So 
Aboriginal people have to balance telling the war stories from the old days and balance with the aspiration that they want for their kids. And Aboriginal parents want to invest in their kids' dreams, want to invest in their kids, in their futures, in any which way they can. But when it comes to interfacing with a huge bureaucratic system like the Education Department, sometimes they feel isolated. That's why community groups such as VI and the other groups exist so that they can go and yarn it out with other Aboriginal parents and then take their opinions and their feelings and their aspiration to the place that makes the most difference. And for instance, in Victoria, the current education policy, Marung, is co-chaired by the head of VI and secretaries of education. So we now are rather than knocking on the door, we're inside and we are there advocating strong and hard for our kids. But the reality is that our kids are often experience being in the cracks of the education system. So improving that space improves education for all kids. And Aboriginal advocacy has been a benefit not only for our kids, but for every kid. And I'm pretty happy about that. (laughs) As you should be, Mark. So what words of encouragement would you have for parents to convey a message to their kids about their education at school? I know we're talking about schools, but also learning at home with the family and so on. Sure. Look, it's good that despite your experience and despite the level of education that you may or may not have achieved in your life, there are still ways in which to encourage your kids. I've got relatives who are illiterate and they'll make a point of sitting down while the kids are doing reading and pretend that they're reading just to give that visual message. And being there for the kids on school event days and occasions, (laughs) not just taking the kids' point of view against the teachers, being open and creating a relationship with the teacher. And also many schools have, through the maroon policy, they see Aboriginal perspectives are for all kids. So take a part of coming and give a talk or a lecture or an art lesson or a dance lesson And absolutely look towards your LAECG, your local Aboriginal education consultative body that's operating near you. And so you can have a say and your word gets taken to our central table and then on to ministers and secretaries of education. Mm. Oh, that's so positive, Mark. So I'm hearing in what you're saying that there are support mechanisms and avenues that are available to children and parents to, you know, give them the tools or the confidence to support their kids learning throughout their primary and secondary school years. Can you expand a bit more on what some of those supports look like and and how parents can tap into those? Well, Julia, I've got to warn you and warn the listeners that the two worst things that we've got from as Aboriginal people through contact was uh, two worst diseases were smallpox and acronyms. You can actually take <laughs> something for smallpox, acronyms not so much. So when I put in an acronym, I'll just remind me to explain what it is. Uh, inside the system, inside the Department of Education and all, mm-hmm. and there's parallel programs in Catholic and independent schools, 
we have Aboriginal people in support mechanism roles. We have Koori Education Coordinators, KECs, and then we've got KESOs, Koori Education Support Officers. And their job is to work in a school or across a number of schools in order to support Aboriginal kids and help promote Aboriginal perspectives for all kids in the school. Then outside the school, through the agency of VAI, we have programs like KAE, the Curry Academy of Excellence. We realise, and the general manager of VAI, it was his uh, Lionel Bamblet, his brainchild, that in 1,800 plus schools in this state, nearly 80% of them have got Aboriginal kids in ones and twos or threes and fours. Not mm-hmm. like the Cape, not like the Territory, and not like the Kimberley, where you've got class full of Aboriginal kids. Ours are distributed very widely. So how can you set up a program for those kids to come together? And for about eight years here in the northern suburbs of Melbourne, the Career Academy of Excellence has been running, which takes kids not out of class, but after schools, at weekends and school holidays, to build culture, to anchor culture, to build leadership and academic strength, to relate to each other as future Aboriginal leaders and push the notion of going on to university. Now, the government saw that as a very successful program and last year before COVID initiated another three career academies, one in between Warrnambool and Hayward and Portland, another one at Albury-Wodonga and another one to the Far East Bandsdale. Other support mechanisms, the Alpine School of Leadership. Mark Reeves, the principal there, and I'm on the school council, which I'm very happy to be, worked on a private school that took kids in year nine away from their homes for a term and built in outdoor schools, leadership schools, etc. And as a result, he asked why would the same advantage available to government school kids? And so he set up the Alpine School of Leadership and we're about to build our fourth campus. Now that takes kids in year nine who apply for a leadership program in their schools. So Mildura to Mordialic, you know, from Escobar to Alexandra, they take them away in a mixed setup and build those schools. It's great national success and no Aboriginal kid who's gone on that program hasn't gone on to finish year 12. During COVID, VAI stepped in and it's running some tutorials. Next week, there's going to be sessions for kids in year 12 on Zoom. It ran tools online for parents in lockdown with their kids to help teach Aboriginal perspectives. So my message to parents is VAI's got your back. I've been on the VAI committee for nearly 25 years and I'm really pleased to be there. And VAI, in line with the birth-to-death notion of education, uh, it's got programs at every stage. One of the ones that I am particularly proud of is Turon Manong, which is a warrior-on word, which means walking together. And so what we do is we collaborate and we bring the community in so they can create relationships. When the ATAR scores come out, we have run a 1-800 number where uh, 24 hour a day, 
people, kids could ring and they'll hit an Aboriginal academic like me and they'll hear an Aboriginal academic talk through the issues and make a link, not to their university necessarily, but to one that will suit their dreams and and their aspiration better. Gee, that's great to get the word out about those initiatives and they also sound like they can be great ways for our young people being engaged and connected with community more widely. So Mark, I know parents from time to time, or even more often than that sometimes, they do have concerns about issues at their kids' school. Concerns crop up and we know that parents are always really keen to hear some tips on the best ways of raising an issue so that help and support can be put around their child. What are your hot tips, Mark, so that parents can help their kids work through issues that might pop up at school? Julie, that's a great question. And when our attendance numbers weren't as great as they should have been, you peeled away the reasons and it was because kids were taken, enrolled in schools and taken out and moved to other schools. And I have seen on a number of occasions as a former principal myself of an Aboriginal school and a principal of non-Aboriginal schools in the Catholic system, I've seen parents who carry the same characteristics of having a negative experience in their education. When something comes up for their kids, are venting a bit loudly, taking the matter to higher levels of complaint boisterously and as a result the next day there's a feeling of shame and so they take the kids out and move them to another school and it's not restricted to Aboriginal parents. So this is where they I can be help in if you've got an issue call your LAECG and run it through them and just see whether it's isolated or there's a pattern there and then perhaps with respect as a committee process, go up and ask, make inquiries. Or if it's a serious matter, phone VI and they'll make inquiries on your behalf. There's a fantastic elder, Auntie Melva Johnson in Echuca, and she has been there taking parents and kids' issues to principals for decades. She, she's getting on in age, but she has learnt the way of doing it. So What you don't want is to create a situation where you feel the need to pull your kid out of school. Sometimes it's just a misunderstanding. Just keep your call, get the facts, sleep on it. Don't send an email after nine o'clock at night. No good will come of it. Use your community to bounce things off. And if, if it's an issue, go and find an appropriate way to engage. Okay, so can you just recap on who and what services are out there to walk side by side with parents to sift through an issue at school? You've got support mechanisms inside the school and outside the school. The school should have, or the region should have a keck and some kezos. Okay, if you remember the Koori Academy of Excellence, you've got KALOs, Koori Academy Liaison Officers. I told you about the acronyms. Uh, try that. If you think you're not being heard or you're not getting traction or you think the issue is too big, which it can be, your LIECG, your local Aboriginal Consultative Committee group, 
and even VI itself, Ring VI, and they'll have someone. Thanks, Mark. Can you just say a little bit more about how important it is for Koori kids to be connected to culture, how that plays such an important role in them seeing themselves as learners? Aboriginal people come in all forms. There's one story, I think it was Bronwyn Pike when she was Minister for Education as part of uh, WANIC, which was the Aboriginal policy then, got Aboriginal flags and Torres Strait Islander flags sent to all the schools. And I heard this principal talk once. It wasn't until he raised the Aboriginal flag that one of the kids, he's walking across the Oval and one of the kids ran up to him and said, that's my flag. And the principal didn't know that kid was Aboriginal at all. And to have those symbolic signs, art in the school was a way in which the kid could identify. Likewise, if the kids are learning beyond bush rangers and gold, but learning some of the interesting aspects of Aboriginal history before contact, say learning about Mangook as a sport that became AFL, if they're learning about that, they will feel more connected. Now, there's a flip side. Aboriginal perspectives in the classroom are more than connection. And we know as we look at the world of COVID now, and we look at how world structures are changing as we speak. Can it be by putting Indigenous perspectives into the curriculum, we are teaching all kids to deal with competing worldviews? The world powers of the kids on the reading mat today, when they're great-grandparents, their great-grandchildren will be in a world in which Europe and America may not be the world powers anymore. It might be different powers that may not look or sound like who they are. So by having Aboriginal perspectives in the curriculum, we give the kids the best gift for the future. To deal with different worldviews in a respectful and positive way and to find themselves in that. Not to turn Mm. them into believing in Aboriginal principles, but valuing all cultures. And if you value the First Nations, the first culture, that is a really good start. Mm, Wonderful words of wisdom there, Mark. So to finish off, what would you say the key things are that you'd like to leave with parents and kinship carers and and all our listeners, not just of Koori learners, but parents and, and carers more broadly listening today? Education systems aren't perfect. They try very hard and they're, they're stocked to the brim of really good people who want the best for the kids in their classroom, like the parents they serve at home. What we need to do as parents and as educators is just be a bit easy on each other, find the common ground and the common purpose and see education as a broader prospect and to think whether what we teach is fit for purpose now and for the future. Allow the kids to dream and then invest in that dream. We want the kids to be passionate about what they do and where they go. It's hard as a parent and a grandparent not to sort of have expectations for the kids that what you think they need, but 
What do they want to do? I am um, one of the things I, when talking to friends and community and relatives, is I often have to say, while your experience of education may not have been as great and not as good as what you want for your kids, we have to park that. We have to put that to one side and allow the system to work with your support. When I was principal of the Aboriginal school, I remember taking a kid home on suspension and, you know, he did something that warranted suspension and went through all the coordination processes who said, no, this kid should be suspended. And I took him home to his parents who had the most dismal experience in education, who said, come on in, son. I told you education was no good. And I said to the kid, get back in the car. You are now unsuspended. I took him back to school and said, no, go back into your classroom. I had to face the teacher who was pretty upset with me. And I think the kid called me a gammon or a fake principal because I suspended him and I overturned the suspension. But hopefully, and I saw the kid a couple of years ago and he's doing well. But I wasn't going to let the pathology that the parents experience in their day influence the kid today. And we all have the war stories that we tell over dinner parties, but we've got to make sure that doesn't provide the optimism that we have. The system today is not the system of then. And while there are mistakes made from time to time, we handle them in a positive and dynamic way. But what we want to do is tell kids that education is your silver bullet. We're in a really exciting time for education. And Aboriginal education is teaching Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids, but it's also teaching all kids about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander issues. So it's for and about. And there is a balance out there now that kids every day are being connected to the cultural heritage of the land that they live work and play on, whether they're Aboriginal or not. And that's the exciting part. At last, this country is recognising its greatest gift in education, and that's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspective, that heritage. Thanks, Mark. I think that's a fabulous message for us to finish on and to leave our parents with. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and tell your friends. For more tips and information about the topics we've covered today, visit raisingchildren.net.au and education.vic.gov.au. I'd also like to acknowledge the Department of Education and Training Victoria for their support of this series. We hope you'll join us again next time. 